0: So I decided that for my little segment I wanted to do, and a little offshoot that uh, I wanted to complete, I wanted to talk to a couple of my friends who are, you know, millennials in the workforce and people I know who've gotten into the business, just in life in general. And I came, the first person I, I thought of to do was my great friend, Dylan, Dylan Fashball. And he now owns his own company called Smooth Technology based out of New York City. And it is probably the wildest story I've ever seen. It's about a guy who basically, basically was, I mean, essentially homeless in New York city to owning his own company and working with Lady Gaga and Katy Perry and things of the like. And it's a great story that, um, you know, I kind of wanted to go down the original path and, you know, get, see what it was like millennials getting jobs and everything, but his was kind of a storied way around that and kind of how he broke the norm but we also did touch upon you know what it is like for you know millennials to try to get jobs right now And what are your thoughts about that what was I want to see what your experience was like has been so far before we get in to the huge thing with Dylan the huge story just give me a brief synopsis of what you think it's like and maybe we can compare that to see what know what Dylan's doing
1: well first of all I gotta say I'm excited to hear about your interview with Dylan because listen you had me at Lady Gaga obviously (laughs) (laughs) that sold me but um two you know when I think of today's you know youngins (laughs) as part of being that youngins when it comes to jobs you know I think the big thing is you know how do you find a job that pays well I think that's Mm -hmm. a huge struggle for a lot of young people is they find jobs that you know hey you have to have a master's degree but it's ten dollars an hour or hey you know this is a full-time opportunity but it's 30k a year. You know, it really makes you think like okay, sometimes you have to think about part-time jobs. And I think we're definitely in a part-time job economy, you know, where there's a ton of part-time jobs and you kind of have to stack a few of them together. I know a lot of people in my age range who they don't have a full-time but they do have four or five part-time jobs. And even me as an individual, I have my full-time, but then I have five part-time jobs, you know. And some of those part-time jobs literally happen once, twice, three times a month, right? But, um, you know, it's still income that, you know, you kind of need to make things even. So I mean, we've all been there. I've worked seven days a week before. Oh, I, mean, I, I still almost work seven days years, a week. Yeah.
0: Years on end. I worked seven days straight, multiple jobs.
1: Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, there's like this, definitely I think a lot of older people think of it like, oh, it's so easy. Go out there and get a job. But the truth of it is that there's not a lot of full time jobs, you know, because employers right. don't want to pay health care, which is a, a Another story, but another reason why healthcare should be, you know, public, you know, go go through a government system. You know, a lot of employers, they don't want to pay vacation, they don't want to pay these benefits. They make sure they hire people, okay, you can do 30 hours a week and still be considered a part-time employee. Yeah. So, you know, and some might say, well, that's a good thing, some might say that's a bad thing. To me, it's like if you're working 40 hours a week, you should be able to be fine. No matter what 40 hours you do, I believe if you work 40 a week, you should not have to stress about living in this country. But the truth is there's people who have to work 70, 80 hours a week to support themselves and maybe their families and it barely cuts even, you know, it's hard to save up money. So that's kind of my takes. I think, uh, you know, you look at, you know, how pay is stalled, the minimum wage is stalled. I mean, these are more sociological takes on the issue. But uh, I'm curious to hear who you talk to about their journeys, because no two journeys are the same. You know, when I graduated in 2016, I was not sure if I wanted to work in media Um, And I had to work part time for two years before I got a full time job in media. So that's not for everybody. There's some people who graduate college and have to get some kind of full time job, right? They have to kind of have it figured out. I was lucky that I could for a few years balance on part time jobs. So yeah, you're going to love this for sure. And just to hear a story
0: from going you know, from beginning to end and where it is now. And by the way, this is going to be the first of a couple I'm doing. So this is the first person I've talked to. It ended up being an extremely long interview because, well, I just honestly kept having questions upon questions upon questions. So Dylan is going to be the first of a couple people I'm going to talk to, but I think you're going to like a story. So let's just get right into it. And here we go. Hello, this is Paul Lauf with Thoughts of the Roundtable. And as we said, Matt and I are doing our own little pieces, and this is going to be mine and... I've decided that I kind of want to talk to a couple millennials I know, and um, which is I think what is it, Dylan? I'm from reverse guess, is it eighty? Was it eighty-five to ninety-four, something like that? It's something like that. I'm ninety-one. So okay, I am nineteen ninety. So we're smack yes. dab in the middle of it. But yeah, so this series for me is going to be about the millennials in the workforce, how they got to where they're at. Um, what the job search was like, what they think about past job searches, and just everything in between the stories from good and bad. And as I said earlier, the first guest I have is my good friend Dylan Fashball. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening.
2: Hello, good all of those things to you as well, Paul.
0: <laughs> and uh, a little, a little um, behind the scenes here, and full disclosures that Dylan and I were actually in a band at one point. Hell yeah. Uh, the official seals which is still you know I still get uh, notifications that we need to update our info on Facebook so um so maybe we need to do that but the, the the you're the literally the first person I wanted to talk to and the first person I thought of when I came up with this project of you know talking to millennials and how they got to where um they're at in the world because you have probably one of the most ridiculous stories that you know I can think of off the top of my top of my head and so um go ahead and explain kind of what you do and then we'll kind of roll on from there
2: yeah so um i i have a very strange business that i own where uh a huge amount of what i do is making light up costumes for pop stars and also making kind of these strange like experiential entertainment uh i don't don't even know how to describe like environments it's like a lot of um a lot of what i do is like making just making crazy uh live experiences for people on stage and off stage and uh so based, yeah. oh, go ahead i'm saying i've managed to work with a lot of a lot of big brands and also most of the major um pop divas out there as well
0: i mean it's crazy to think of like i i think you're the only friend i have and the only people around our age i know that actually owns their own business so Congratulations to that, because I, I literally think you're the only one I can I know of that has started their own business from scratch. But I gotta know, like when you were in high school and from what I knew from you in college, yeah, you had never really mentioned anything about this. It was like is this what you initially wanted to do, or is this something just kind of spurred out from from nowhere? Or what how how did you get to where you're at, like the idea of it?
2: Yeah, so I've always been obsessed with electronics and I've always been obsessed with programming. And in college and in high school i think you know in high school i started out doing a lot of um modifying rc cars i was really into x mods from radio shack i don't know if anyone's ever played Mm -hmm. with those they're awesome and then um i would always modify those to go really fast i had this one that could go 30 miles per hour and it was ridiculous because it's too small and so it would just flip all the time (laughs) and uh so so i was into that stuff and it kind of convinced me to switch from going to school for music, which is what I was originally going to go for. Um, you originally
0: going to go for music?
2: I was, yeah. I was going like
0: to... what kind of uh, what kind of music? Like education, or I wanted to do jazz guitar performance. Really? (laughs) Yeah. Fun fact. I I also wanted to go to school for music education, and I left the School of Music Education because of how horrific the professor was, and I went to communications instead, and look where I'm at now. I'm in a basement recording with you.
2: Hell yeah. (laughs) It's the best place to be, man. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah, I like, after I talked to a lot of people in the music school at Akron, And I pretty quickly decided that I didn't want to do it
0: before I actually ended up going to college. Um, So you went to the University of Akron. Did you plan on going there because of music or was it like, how did you pick that school?
2: So honestly, I kind of decided to go there because it's where my friends from high school were going. You know, it was a, uh, I, I, so there's a mixture of things. That was a big part of it. Because
0: Akron's well known for engineering. I mean, they're a huge engineering school.
2: Yeah. And. I didn't necessarily want to do engineering at first but then I kind of I realized that as much as I loved music um engineering was like what I actually did as my hobby like the other 50% of the time when I wasn't doing music so right when I decided that I didn't want to go to music school I decided to go for engineering school and then Akron was actually the obvious choice at that point not the obvious choice for the music aspect to be honest so it was kind of
0: no, it's really not. Yeah, so it was
2: funny. It was like I actually kind of ended up switching into a better a better environment
0: for what I was into. So, So did you apply at Akron for the music school or did you already know before you even went there that you were going for engineering?
2: I applied for music and then I applied for engineering before I got accepted <laughs> for music.
0: <laughs> we know a lot of people I know at least who are in the music program are also extremely good in like the sciences and STEM programs and things like that, I am not one of them. Mm-hmm. I was horrible with that kind of stuff, which is why I I was, when I left the, forcefully left the music program at the University of Akron, mm-hmm. I, uh, I actually was going to go for history, but then I changed and I went to uh, broadcasting school and ended up on 88.1, as you know, yeah. where I met Will and then the whole saga continued of our, of our band, which, by the way, we just hit our ten year anniversary. I don't know if you know that. So we happy did. old ten year anniversary of our band!
2: Wow, congratulations, us!
0: <laughs> we need to get so, back together. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, when you're in, so now you're in engineering school. This is where you're at. What yeah. is the game plan from there on out? Do you have your own idea of a new business or your own business, or is it what is the what is the idea at that point?
2: So, I've always wanted to be able to be creative in whatever I do, and I found engineering to be actually wildly creative. Because when you're, when you're getting to make things, um, when you're designing something from the ground up, you're, it's kind of everything is your decision. And you're, it's, it's kind of like, to me, uh, writing a program is as creative as writing a song. And, and that was actually one of the things that drew me heavily toward engineering. And I think that that drive for creativity kind of actually uh, made me more entrepreneurial. I don't think that's that's. I didn't necessarily just dis- know that I wanted to start a business until probably like, um, the third year or fourth year of college. But um
0: so you just wanted to engineer at that point, yeah? Some sort of engineering.
2: I just wanted to create and design. That was really what I wanted
0: what, to do. Now what? I I, I, I got to backtrack a little bit because I want to know something because uh, I, I I didn't even know this about you that you originally went to Akron for or wanted to go for music. What did your your parents and your family think of it? So because I know like. Even when someone says, you know, my kid wants to go from to music school, I can only imagine what, you know, I know what my parents said, but I don't know how yours reacted to that.
2: Yeah. So my, my mom is an artist, so she was actually pretty okay with it, but my dad pretty okay, pretty okay with it. (laughs) My dad actually went to Akron for music and he was the one that drove me away from it.
0: (laughs) <laughs> so he uh is he re- was he really
2: yeah yeah he went to akron for music and then he went back to school um like on gi bill and stuff for for engineering and accounting and a bunch of you know all the other things that he actually does now um even though as so you know he still writes he music all down. the time but
0: yeah but he, he wrote us a song i think if i don't if i remember correctly he
2: did he wrote us i think three songs actually <laughs> um <laughs> but yeah he's he's a really good songwriter and really good musician musician and i learned that um i learned from him basically that uh going to school for music was not the best way to get into actually playing music and that i wanted to play it's music true. and this and that would kind of him he would he didn't have a problem if i had decided to go for that but he was you know he was kind of like the most direct primary resource that i could find that told me that i probably shouldn't and should actually follow my other passion which was creating creating things
0: engineering and to be honest that was probably a good plan because you and I obviously we played music together for a few years and man there were some dark dark times in that where I oh, remember yeah. I mean broke. We were both broke. We had no idea what we were doing. You know, people would fight us at clubs and everything, so I'm kind of glad that... um, (laughs) I think we're still banned from the outpost because of you, if I'm not mistaken.
2: Yeah, you know, sometimes you have to fight the promoter to get your money, (laughs) but that's... uh, Yeah, it's just the way it goes sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So,
0: okay, so now you're you're halfway through engineering school, and he said that's about when you wanted to... You came up with the idea for the business? Is that when it kind of sparked? So I
2: didn't necessarily come up with the idea for this business. I'd come up with the idea that I that I wanted to design things for people so as you can see like I didn't necessarily know that I wanted to design things that light up and entertain people this like on a live stage kind of thing but I've always been obsessed with music and I've always been obsessed with video games actually and and like arcade games and so I wanted to find some way to break into that realm and and uh I'd say that by about the third year of engineering I'd started kind of learning how to create things, and I became, I think, pretty good at it. It was, it was, sort of, it was like my driving force through a lot of school. Like, even like in our senior, like my like senior design project that I did with uh with Brian and Will from our band, um, you know, we made a brain a brain controlled guitar pedal. So it's kind of like that was like a, you know, just kind of a, one of the many weird things that we had come up with that was just kind of mixing together creativity and uh, and uh, engineering
0: see I'm not an engineer I I don't have that kind of mind but um, I remember sitting around you guys you know in in our band practice and just I love hearing the engineer's brain because they would you guys would just come up with the most insane crap out of (laughs) nowhere like that like oh I want to make a brain you know a a brain controlled pedal or whatever and everyone else in the room would be like what the F is that and then you would do it (laughs) It's just like the most ridiculous things and then you'd be like oh yeah yeah I can do that like I, I to this day it just absolutely astounds me how people how engineers specifically can just pull things out of their ass like that and just be like oh it's, it's no problem at all oh man and um, it kind of reminds me of this time I was in uh, I was at Carnegie Mellon for some reason I uh, at their art school because believe it or not I have a minor in art so I really lucked out here really uh you know picked winners Hell, yeah but um <laughs> I remember there was this. There was this group of people who, this group of engineers, who they were creating this video game, where you could cre- control this person walking around a room just by brain signals. You would just literally think like, "I want to lift up my left arm," and this thing would lift up its left arm. And they were talking about it like it was nothing. Like, "Oh yeah, we did this. You know, a couple ones. Of- like, like, are you serious? Like, this is the most insane thing I've ever seen." And they just didn't care about it. Totally. The engineers were just. That's just how they are, and it's just—it's a—it's amazing to me. And also, I felt like a like an idiot most of the time hanging around you guys, but I mean, that's thats, that's neither here nor there.
2: <laughs> well, we're we uh, you know, we always felt like idiots coming up with insane ideas, and uh, you know, it's uh, it's just a big big idiot circle. I feel like <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> we're all we're all weirdos, and uh, it works out.
0: <laughs> so, um, w- did you ever talk to your? professors about any of this or is that pretty much just a like a relationship of this how you learn engineering this would, you, or did the people at akron actually push you to do anything or was it kind of on your own
2: yeah so i had um i had specifically i'd say two professors one that one that wasn't really my professor she's actually an advisor for for an extracurricular team that i was a part of and then another mm-hmm. professor who is my actually my advisor in computer engineering and yeah uh, and both of them really did uh they always they always liked that I would show up to to classes and and uh other events that they had with strange hardware that I had built and <laughs> they they always found that funny and interesting so they would talk to me about it and um they both they both pushed me to, to actually go to grad school which I did apply for I I got into a program at Columbia um but I just never I just never followed through with it cuz I just wanted to Why build not? stuff so yeah the reason I never followed through really was I had a, I had a, so I had an internship at a company um, in in Akron, Ohio, uh, called Nanotronics Imaging, where that did that made microscopes, and I kind of find my ma- found myself as like the fourth engineer or so at that company, and was able to, um, was able to kind of like build a build a cool foundation in the startup world with that, and they they had moved their headquarters to uh, New York City while I was interning for them, and. I found this. I found it as just kind of a neat opportunity to go and try a new city, and uh, still have a job that that I loved when I moved there.
0: And so this uh, is when you moved to New York City, right? Because I knew you moved to New York City, but I don't. I didn't remember how you got there. So you actually went there because of the of the job. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I made which drop then drops you in. You know, obviously New York City. It's a hub for pretty much everything business. So right. I can only imagine where things sparked from there.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, New York. Honestly, moving to New York was one of the scariest decisions I ever made and it made me completely broke for a long time, <laughs> but it also <laughs> was probably one of the best decisions because I was able to to do all to network with everyone who could help me get to the place where I could actually build a business.
0: So what was that initial move there like? Like trying to find an apartment or things like that or Yeah. you know. And could and the funny thing is cuz you were how old when you moved to New York City? Uh
2: 22.
0: Could you do that now, you think?
2: I don't know. I don't know. I don't think so. It was So what was it what was it like? Yeah, so my moving to New York City, it's it's the most insane thing that anyone ever does. <laughs> um the <laughs> so I found a friend um uh over in Worcester, Ohio, um Brittany, and she she and I moved out to New York City together. And um and we both didn't really have money yet and like she had a job that she knew she was because you're
0: have. just out of college at this point you don't really have i mean you have the internship but i mean we were all broke in college yeah. so we didn't have that much getting out
2: exactly exactly so you're really like you just you're 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 not really anywhere yet out of college you know you have to you have to build that up later and so but you know we decided to go and move to one of the most
0: expensive cities in the world as soon as we got out of college. And um, <laughs> so it's it sounds really like a really terrible idea when you put it like that. Yeah, and
2: you know it it kind of was, but it kind of wasn't at the same time. It was really strange. It was in retrospect I feel like it was fun, but at, like when it was happening I felt like it was pretty terrible. So like we spent like the first 3 months in New York actually like bumming around Airbnbs and while like okay. saving money so that we could actually um, get an apartment. Cause what they don't tell you when you move to New York is that, you know, well first, I mean, you kind of know that everything's going to be expensive, but you, whenever you rent an apartment, you also have to pay this crazy fee for the person that found you the apartment, the broker's fee. And you have to pay like three months of rent up front. And when,
0: and that's anywhere, that's like a standard thing in New York totally city, Totally
2: standard. And, and you have to prove that, the income that your income is like 40 times the rent
0: 40 (laughs) i'm
2: not even kidding it's
0: ridiculous (laughs) so that i mean new york city's uh, rent is already insane how are you going to get it prove that it's 40 times yeah
2: and that that was the incredibly hard part
0: we hold on so what is what what, what is a typical i got to do some math here what is a typical rent
2: so say standard a a crappy apartment is like two thousand dollars a month
0: Okay, so two thousand dollars a month. You that means you would have to that's eighty thousand dollars.
2: Which I did not make when I moved to New York. <laughs> <laughs> we we had to pull strings, honestly. That was the only way.
0: I mean I mean, call it what it is, you were essentially homeless when you moved there. I mean, Airbnb to Airbnb, that you're you're essentially homeless at that point. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Absolutely. For for several months. And then ultimately we found this we found this little apartment in deep in Chinatown. Um I gotta go back that Hold on yeah. one second.
0: Like how many how many how long were your air bearing beast days? Would you go from like a week or is it like a month and one?
2: Anywhere from we spent a month and one, but usually
0: like three days, four days. So So you would have to literally you'd have days and then you have to find somewhere else to go. Yep.
2: Yeah. So we were
0: Did you ever have any point where you didn't find anywhere to go and parking lot it or overnight? Yeah,
2: or? yeah. I slept uh at my I slept at my job a few times. Um and we, I've done that, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, I've actually done that. I've done that uh, not even all that long ago, to be honest. But um,
0: I don't think you've had a good career until you've had to sleep at your job. Yeah, we've all done it, right?
2: Exactly. You kind of have to. <laughs> and I also got—I got really lucky that the um, one of the one of the times when um, we just had nowhere to stay, uh, the CEO of uh, of of the company I was working for actually let Brittany and I stay in his apartment for like three weeks while he was out traveling for business. So wow. we got, we got to like See, live I mean, in luxury actually for like a little bit of that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Cause you, I mean, you essentially had to tell him like, Hey, like I'm on the streets unless you help me out. So, and I work for you. So could you like, you know, pretty much, man, that's dedication to a job. My God, it was pretty nuts, I mean, man. Seriously. It was pretty nuts. And so how do you eventually land that land? The, uh, did you enjoy it though? Did you weirdly enjoy it or was it just kind of stressful the entire time? Yeah. Cause how do you focus on your work when you're like, man, where the hell am I going to go tonight?
2: Yeah. You know, it was weird because after like a week or two of that, you just stopped caring about where you're going to go that night. You just kind of realized that you're going to end up sleeping somewhere. (laughs) You know, you're going to fall asleep that (laughs) night. You're going to wake up in the morning. And like, I knew that there's places to shower. There's like gyms and stuff. Like you can, you can kind of figure it out. And, and it was, it was strange because I feel like, you know, moving from Ohio where, you know, in Ohio, it's, we have a, we, we, definitely have like, you know, pretty cheap rents and it's pretty easy to, to find a place to sleep, that kind of thing. But then um, when you're when you go to New York and it's not so easy, you have to you kind of just end up adapting to it and realizing that anywhere you sleep is pretty much as good as anywhere else you're gonna sleep, so you might as well just deal with it. <laughs> and that became my I mean, mentality you, after after a week did, or two.
0: Did you ever like regret going out there for this or did you know that and how long did you plan to stay did you know it was going to be years that you'd be out there or no
2: yeah i kind of i was hoping to spend like at least six years out there or maybe even just forever but eventually i grew to really dislike it but we'll get to that but um (laughs) but yeah i mean i didn't i i kind of uh i kind of thought it was like maybe like a permanent career move at that point to be honest
0: one of the things i hear a lot of older people say is that you know, millennials have no drive for their job or things like that. But my God, I don't. There's no way that can be true because I know what I've I've had to do for my career yeah. in life, and I mean just and it's not even half of what you've you've had to do. I mean, I've I've had to deal with you know borderline you know, muggings, you know, in the middle of the night because totally. I had to stay at my job, you know, overnight and just broke the entire time.
2: Yeah,
0: and. But, I mean, I, I, that's one thing that always bothers me is when anybody says that millennials don't have drive. Oh, it's ridiculous. Or, you know, they have it easy. It's like yeah. we probably have one of the hardest times getting it, which is why I sparked this, because someone had actually sent, said something like that to me. And I was like, I know a bunch of people who are our age, who are millennials, that, and we get beat up for everything Gen Z does and, you know, and all that. But, I mean, there's so many stories like you included that it's just, I mean, we work your, your butts off to get where you're at. And it kind of... Is passed over and people don't really realize how hard it can be.
2: Yeah, yeah, I feel like and
0: what it's become because yeah. I don't know how many times I've heard people tell me, "He's like, why don't you just go and get a job? Why don't you just don't go and call them?" And that's a whole different thing that we can talk about later. Totally. And I think that was one of the things that drove me n- most nuts is when he says, "Why don't you just call them?" Like that's what you can do now. You just call people up and say, <laughs> "Hey, I applied for your job. Can I have the job?" Like that's what that's like. That's what you do nowadays, right? You know, and it it
2: never works that way. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, I feel like like. People like our age, people we went to school with, are the most driven people I've ever met. It's it's not it's not like the folks who are like older than us that are complaining about millennials the whole time. I feel like like the younger people that I've met are the ones that are willing to actually go all out and figure figure out how to
0: how to make it. I mean, we've had to do things that like you wouldn't even imagine twenty years ago to do to get. To get jobs. I mean, I don't know how many times... Oh, the, one of the worst ones. I will never forget this, my man. Mm-hmm. Never forget this. Yeah. I was um, just out of broadcasting school. And before I went to grad school... I Actually, went. funny thing. I went to grad school and got my master's. I kid you not. I went to grad school because I couldn't afford my student loans, So I went there so I could defer them. I kid you not. That's why I went to grad school. Wow. And I, end, I ended up loving grad school. Yeah. So, you know, it, was, it turned out okay. But that's... I mean, my family told me like, "Hey, you know, if you go to grad school, you can defer your student loans." It's like, good, I can't afford them, <laughs> and so, so that's you know, it's amazing. I Lost my train of thought. Where was it? Where was I going? But um, it's just so I ended up, you know, oh the the interview. Yeah. <laughs> God. So I was out of, I was before grad school, and I was trying to find a job, and um, people I don't think people will realize, you know, older people realize how sketchy some of these things can be, oh, yeah, and how terrifying they can be. And I applied for this job that was like, it was a communications manager at some company. And it looked real cool online and everything. So I was like, cool. So I applied online and I got a call like an hour later, which should have, looking back, it should have been my first like red flag. Like that something was like not not right, you yeah. know? And so, <laughs> Which is funny because, you know, it's you get a call back, but then there's something weird about that. But so I show up to this place and I think it was, Oh, God, I forget. I think it was like North Ridgeville or something in Ohio. Mm-hmm. And it's in this strip mall. This address he gave me, this strip mall. And this guy called me and this is, you know, whatever. And I walk in and this place is like, it's like kind of like an office building, but it's not done. Like all the, it's like clearly under renovations. It's all under renovations. Like the carpet's torn up, drywall's off in some areas. There's lights hanging, you know, oh from God. wires and stuff. Mm-hmm. And the only room that was, done and finished was this guy's office it was like a glass office <laughs> and so i walk in there and i'm like man this is weird but i did not you know i needed the job so it was whatever yeah totally and so he, he he calls me back to his to his office and i'll never forget it so i sit down in this chair and this guy was one of these guys with these slick back hair you know the tight suits and everything mm-hmm. and so i sit down in the chair and he t- shuts the door and locks it behind me Oh my god, that's <laughs> horrifying, dude! It was, it was serious. I kid you not. I'll never forget the like. The, the, I felt my stomach drop because it was just, you know, shutting the doors, or whatever. For one thing, you know, privacy. There's nobody else in here. I don't didn't even matter. Yeah. But he shut it and then like with a key, like a physical key, went and like sh- locked it. I was like, oh my Jesus. god! And so it it turned out it was like this horrifically shady job, like it was a pyramid scheme basically. And so the entire, I mean, I knew I didn't, from the moment he locked the door, I was like, I just got to get out of here. Like, I don't care what I say. I don't want this job, man. I'm, it's not worth it. And so I said anything I could do to get out of it. And eventually, you know, it it, what it was, it is, and he let me go, obviously, and nothing happened. But man, like, can you, this, this kind of crap was unheard of back in the day. But it, that that's just normal now. It's just, this is what it totally. is. Totally.
2: You're scrounging. You and, know, I've had. you just end up in the weirdest situations. <laughs>
0: I've had in- interviews like that. I had one time where I interviewed at a car dealership for a position for doing like um their w- work on their websites or whatever. Yeah. And uh the lady who was interviewing me legitimately could not read could not read my resume. I had to read her my resume.
2: Wow. Did she understand <laughs> what you were saying?
0: Yeah, she yeah, she yeah, it's just she just Scary. couldn't read. Wow. That's incredible. It was just <laughs> And you know, it's it is what it is, you know. I don't wanna make fun of you know difficulties yeah. or anything, but it was just it threw me off guard when she told me that. I'm like you know, it was totally just, it was wild. Totally. But oh, um, man. Okay. <laughs> no, <it's... laughs> okay, so enough of me back to you. So now you're in New York City with this internship. What what happens then?
2: Yeah, it? so um so at that point that was when I moved to New York City was when I officially went full time. So it was right after graduation and uh yeah so you know we bounced around airbnbs sleeping at the office sleeping in the car all that kind of good stuff for the first the first couple months just kind of figuring it out and then um eventually we found this this little apartment in chinatown i'm not even kidding it's it was like 190 or like 180 square feet um with somehow two bedrooms in a living
0: room that's like a kitchen. i know
2: just just think about that my, my bedroom was six feet by eight <laughs> feet Brittany's bedroom was six <laughs> oh. feet by six feet
0: oh my God. Um, our living room did it have a door in between you guys or was it just like this is your corner this is my corner? yeah we
2: we actually had oh we had walls and doors it's like unbelievable how small how? i i know right it's they basically didn't exist it was just like these really thin little walls with this like weird little like they they call this anyone from new york would know this, it's called a winged two bedroom it's the worst most insane apartment design anyone could ever hear of but
0: no, I'm assuming you couldn't even fit a bed in that,
2: right? You you know, I had a futon, and it fit almost perfectly. And the the worst thing about that, though, is you actually couldn't move it without taking it apart and putting it back together. But, <laughs> you know, in a weird way, it kind of... You know, after you're living in a tiny a tiny space, you kind of, like, end up getting used to it and sort of enjoying it. But at the same time, I mean, the bad side of that apartment, though, was it was... Uh it was completely full of cockroaches and uh Was it yeah really? and it cost like all of the money
0: we were making at the time. But now I'm assuming like you guys you didn't you probably didn't have anything with you, probably had like a bag of clothes, right? Like that was basically Yeah,
2: it. pretty much. And that was yeah, like um I had a I had a cot, like a like a camping cot. And mm-hmm. um we set that up like in the in like the the living room, um that didn't really exist and so like sometimes uh sometimes like one of us would sleep on like the cot and i slept on like a, a towel on the ground for a little while but eventually i did oh i did God. get a futon and that futon was actually pretty awesome and
0: like a literal towel just <laughs> draped on the floor yeah
2: and you know the weird thing is it's not the first time i had done that i did that in ohio too for some reason sometimes i yeah. slept
0: on a deflated air mattress in college i'll never forget that it was covered in duct tape <laughs> oh, it's amazing. and everything it's great
2: i feel like you know <laughs> You have to have you have to have horrible sleeping situations. It's the it's the best way to to learn some drive, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's one of them. Yeah. yeah, it kind of works out.
0: But so you you spent you said I'm sorry you said you spent basically all your money just on the uh, rent alone. So what did you do for you know food or travel or anything, or is that basically just did not existent?
2: Yeah, it was. Um, you know, this is a weird thing. You can actually eat cheap in New York. No tourist will ever tell you that. But if you live in Chinatown, you can you can actually find a lot of like really cheap food that is so much better than you'd ever expect it to be. So, we actually honestly like even if you only have a couple bucks like like a day or like a, a you know for for food or something, you can actually totally get by. It's it's a really it's really strange because when we lived when we were like um kind of jumping around different Airbnbs and stuff, we were we were in places where it was, like, harder to afford that kind of stuff. But then living in Chinatown, kind of everything everything came together. And in a weird way, I feel like that's where, that's where my New York experience actually started and kind of turned around and became good. Even though I was living in a six-by-eight-foot room in, like, a part of town <laughs> that no one really ever went to. Like, we were very deep into Chinatown. But it, it started to work out around then.
0: <laughs> so what happens then? Like, are you considering leaving the internship at this point? Or?
2: Yeah, so... At that point, um, I kind of had, I'd started, I'd really had started to, you know, get the hang of, of working this job, um, in New York. And, uh, my roommate was starting to get like into her thing of what she was doing. And, um, because I'd, I'd been there for a while, I just kind of, uh, you know, I I basically was just kind of like grinding like at, (laughs) you know, at work for the first, uh, the first while while there, but also was a, was kind of starting to build like my group of friends, and I got really lucky that the uh, the company that I worked for was actually inside of a inside of an art building called Pioneer Works, and okay. I got to meet a lot of a lot of artists and um, and other kinds of creative types that eventually led to where my entrepreneurial journey started. So. So yeah, kind of. I worked. I worked for a long time in that in that environment, um, and managed to actually work my way up to the position as the lead engineer of the company after basically grinding for two years. And I, it was <laughs> it's kind of like you're just pushing really hard like every day for like two years, and then eventually, um, because I was such an I was such an early employee and managed to I think do some pretty pivotal stuff. I managed to actually end up being being the lead engineer, and. That was where things got easy, but I have a weird tendency to not like when things are easy. So I,
0: I have a feel like a lot of creative people are that way. Yeah. It's,
2: it's kind of, you don't necessarily just want to glide.
0: And mm-hmm. that's what I was like in radio. Like whenever I, there's a, there's a common, uh, thing in radio where it's like, if you're starting to get comfortable in your job, you're starting to do something. Wrong. Yeah. And that's kind of, I feel like what you're exactly
2: doing. Exactly. Yeah. It was. It was like I I'd, I'd done this grind. It was hard, and was like spending spending every dollar I had, and uh, and um and also at that point too, uh, Maggie, my future wife, had moved out, and she was she was actually living in Pennsylvania at the time, and um and I had begun commuting from Pennsylvania to New York City every day, which
0: my God, how long <laughs> is that? About an hour,
2: forty-five minutes each way.
0: Oh, it's not as long as I thought. Yeah,
2: it was. You know, I'd spend usually like somewhere between three and a half and four hours in the car every day. It was a lot of time, but you know, it was it w- that was like the glide period <laughs> where before before <laughs> deciding to start a business and uh, and while just like having having this job and kind of at that at that point I knew that like there had to be something that was next. Like I I wouldn't just do this forever. So right. I was using that as like a as like a means to. To get to a point where I could start a business, and and somehow though during that glide period, the thing that actually thrust me into it was one of those guys that I'd worked with at Pioneer Works, uh, Dave Sheinkov, got a uh, got a request to to make a light up costume for Taylor Swift, and Dave knew that I was into like wireless technology and all kinds of electronics, all kinds of like weird weird esoteric electronics. So he uh, he gave me a call and and asked if I wanted to uh to work on that project and that was
0: so you go from just interning so all of a sudden like hey Taylor Swift needs this thing done can you do it (laughs) right
2: right and I was I was full-time but yeah it was like I was uh yeah it was it was basically like I just kind of got this call like out of the blue that that suddenly Taylor Swift might need something that I could help with and I thought what a weird cool opportunity I'm just gonna go for Did it. Did you
0: ever think of turning it down because of how odd it was, or you're like, no, this is full bore what I wanted to do. No, that's the weird part. I never thought about turning it down,
2: <laughs> even though <laughs> I knew, like, I knew I was like, there's, there's no chance that, there's no chance that this is gonna be like lucrative. It wasn't. It wasn't like there's, there was nothing lucrative for years at, at my own business, and I knew that there was like no chance that, uh, like, I didn't know if there'd ever be any other kind of thing that would follow it. I didn't know like how to build that exact kind of thing i just thought i could figure it out and
0: and yeah see that's what i love about (laughs) and the engineer drive is like i don't know how to do this but i'm sure i'll figure it (laughs) out like it's the most it can be the most stressful thing in the world and that's why my anxiety alone would prevent me from being an engineer because someone presents you a problem you're like i have no idea how that can happen pretty sure it's not even possible but i'm sure i'll figure it out exactly you know what that's the fun part (laughs) of it you know it's like playing a
2: puzzle game you're you have all these tools that you're aware of and someone has some crazy request, and you're just applying everything you've ever learned to to figure out how to how to make this thing happen, and and that's kind of what that where where that came into play. So it was like Dave Dave at Pioneer Rick said, given me a call, and then um, James Devito, who's uh, the other uh, was the other early founder of Smooth Technology with me. Um, he uh, gave James a call, and we kind of all assembled for the first time. To do this this weird out of the blue Taylor Swift LED dress project, and we were also all working our day jobs at the same time. So I was still working at Nanotronics. Dave was working at Pioneer Works, James was working at a company called Adafruit. Any electronics hobbyists will know that company. And um, and uh, we at night we were just working on on this dress. And I've never been more exhausted. So you're in my
0: basically life. working 24 hours a day. At the yeah, <laughs>
2: it was it was crazy. Um, I've,
0: I think, I think you told me one time about how you finished work. Correct me if I'm wrong on the story, but you you were in Harlem or something yeah. and you, you finished at like, like three, four AM and had to like walk to the train station uh-huh. and said it was just like the weirdest thing you've ever oh, seen. Oh yeah, I
2: mean, it was, it was, uh, there were a lot of, um, There's there's a lot of, there's a lot of drug. There were like a lot of like drug addiction issues that you could just see up there. And, uh, And so it was like, we were basically like, like waiting through a bunch of uh, like basically heroin addicts that were on the street at like four in the morning who were all just standing there and just kind of stare at you the whole time. It's a really, a really bizarre thing. (laughs) And, uh, but yeah, that was, so that was like, that was like a night on a nightly basis for quite a while, actually.
0: So how much sleep are you getting? Basically two hours a night because you'd work at work your day job and then this at night. Yeah,
2: I'd say at, at most two hours. It was not healthy. <laughs> it was and it was like that for like a month and a half. Are you oh serious? yeah. It was it was bad and uh, yeah and so that kind of you know I've always been good at not sleeping, but that was like a, to a pretty extreme level.
0: Was there any point at this point where you're like taking you know the subway home at the four a.m. Thinking like, what the hell am I oh, doing? Dude, like, why am I One hundred percent, one hundred percent. It was like, did you ever almost like pull the pull the ripcord at that point and say, you know, what, screw this? I'm I'm honestly,
2: done. if I felt like that was a choice, I probably would have. But it didn't feel like it was a choice. I was like, there's we're like committed to this thing. It's for the 1989 world tour, like her maybe her biggest album ever, and like it was it was just like blowing up, and it was I knew that that this was like such like a fundamental component to one of the songs that was kind of like the they're just you know failure failure was not an option in this situation <laughs> so you know it was like it was just like push through drink red bull at that point we were talking about uh we were talking about getting sponsored by red bull because of how much we were drinking and uh <laughs> it was like um uh, it was just literally like every every single day um every single night uh just working and on the weekends too you know doing just doing like double time like the same amount of work pretty much and maybe trying to get another hour of sleep or two
0: and yeah so this was this was kind of like the turning point of when you kind of started shifting towards your your business i would assume like this is kind of when it, it started yeah
2: exactly because that was i was like meeting james and dave i was like oh these are two other people who will also do this with me like like I've met other people that will actually work this absolutely insane thing that we're doing to try to make this crazy project into a reality. And I was like,
0: this is a good now, thing.
2: <laughs> even, even though everything <laughs> sucks right now, this is a good thing.
0: <laughs> but now it had to be in the back of your head. Like you even say, I wanted to start my own company. I mean, you're an engineer, you're not an entrepreneur. Yeah. So it's like, in my head, even if I wanted to do that it'd be like, how the hell do I start a company? Like I would not know anything. Totally. So how do you go from like, I have this idea. This is what I want to do. I have these guys who are just insane as I am. Yeah. Like, how do you go from that to start? Like, I wouldn't even know the first thing to
2: do. Totally. And we didn't, I, I don't know if we still do, to be honest. It's, uh it's <laughs> like, you know, we, we came up with a, with a name. Well, James, James had this name already actually, smooth technology. And then we, we were like, cool. Like that's what we'll call ourselves. And then, And then we go from that to trying to figure out, like, oh, wait, how do you, like, make this into an entity that the government recognizes? And that's insane. That is an illegal. Yeah. Like, (laughs) how do you how do you do this? And and yeah, it's like we're we ended up like like talking to like lawyers. And that was before I knew how much lawyers cost. And then, dude, lawyers are so expensive. And so, you know,
0: that's the job, man. That's got to be the job. I know, man
2: well white so he's doing but yeah <laughs> it's, uh, but it was like like talking to lawyers when like you're like trying to like figure out how to you're like spending money like to like find like lawyers and like start a business like start like the legal side of the business and stuff while not having any idea what any of it means and like living out i can of only savings. imagine like you going
0: into <laughs> you can going to a lawyer's office and say, all right, I have this crazy idea. I want to do this, 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 this. I want to do this. I want to ha- you know, work with this person. And they're probably like, how do I make this a business? And they're probably looking at you like, what the heck are you talking about? <laughs> like, you know? Totally. Totally. Because them like you're confused about how to start a business, but then on their end they're like they know how to start a business, but like I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah.
2: Like, yeah, they're like what do you mean? They're like, Oh, like you're the clients you're gonna aim for are gonna be like these like five specific pop stars or like you know, it's like it's like you wanna it's yeah, such a weird I Can,
0: can you imagine walking to it's like it's like I have one client. It's Taylor Swift. I'd be like, get get out of my face! What are you talking about? It's, your one client is Taylor <laughs> right. Swift. Right? Like, what do you mean? Like, who who the hell starts their job their their business and their first client is Taylor yeah. Swift? Like, who?
2: Totally, dude. I don't know. I, it's it was the weirdest luckiest moment ever that that job just fell in our laps. To be totally honest, and
0: yeah. so. So what happens then? Like, so you f- you eventually finish the d- the dress, I'm assuming. Yeah. So right? we
2: finish it. Um, working with the designer Ash Levine.
0: Can you at all s- can you at all see this anywhere? Uh, the can you see the dress? Yeah, yeah. yeah
2: it's it's um for how you get the girl in the nineteen eighty nine nineteen eighty nine uh, Taylor Swift World Tour. You can you can find it all over the place. It's in the it's even in the calendar. If you uh, in fact, it's September. The the official Taylor Swift calendar uh, September from like 2018 or something was the, was that dress. <laughs> in fact, insane. the dress right, is in the Country Music Hall of Fame as well. That's kind of another. Yeah. Are you serious? It's at the, the Taylor Swift Learning this, Center, this... I think is what it's called.
0: Man, do I feel small. My God, I haven't done anything
2: with my <laughs> life. Dude, I never expected this to actually like go anywhere. It was it was a weird thing, but it was really fun. <laughs> but but yeah. All right, so so what happens Yeah, so now? we finish the dress, and then you go to rehearsals. Cause you have to put the dress on Taylor, and you have to see if she likes it, and you have to, uh, you have to.
0: How nervous, nerve wracking was that? Where it's like you spent literally, like basically, killed yourself making this. Almost literally killed yourself making yeah. this. How worried were you that you're gonna go and she goes, this thing sucks. Dude, totally
2: worried. It's it's a thing like because you have no idea what her reaction is gonna be, and you know she's she's the boss. Like she is the boss, and there's a bunch of other people who are still your boss in that situation so it's like so it's like you have to impress the lighting designer you have to impress the the production of the like the producer of the show you have to produce you have to impress all these people and also taylor swift and that was the goal was like get all these people to say that it's good and uh and basically make it make it exactly what they want and you know put our flavor into it so that we can have this really cool piece of art on stage And, and that time, you know, that specific moment when you're actually at rehearsals was, that was the time that was literally the most exhaustive I've ever been in my life because I didn't sleep. I took, I took off my real job at that time. Um, I took like, I took that off for a couple of days (laughs) and we literally didn't sleep for like six days straight. Maybe it was, it was straight through. So the first
0: time, the first time you ever met taylor swift i mean anybody who's you know a fan or even if you're not a fan i mean it's taylor swift so you kind of be starstruck and nervous mm-hmm. but you i would assume you go over it's like i don't care like just do you like this or not like i'm so tired like i don't care do you want it do you want <laughs> yeah, it dude. is that like, kind
2: of what you know so the the fashion designer we worked with is really the one that like presented it but i'm like standing there like vanna white presenting it like <laughs> i'm also standing there just kind of like <laughs> showing it off and you're I'm in the dress, dress now. <laughs> i wish no but uh yeah and and you know it's really weird i thought i'd be like utterly like starstruck and like it'd be hard to talk and stuff but i've learned about myself that
0: that doesn't actually happen to me for some reason i i kind of I th- you kind of kind of put that out of your head because like i've been in radio for years so i've talked to a couple you know well-known yeah. people and you just kind of like it depends on the other person really if they make you feel like they're just another person then that's what it is totally you know? you're on that for one of the best conversations i have with a celebrity was mgk mm-hmm. and everyone was freaking out because you know it's mgk, MGK. Yeah. i'm he, i was talking to him about the chalet and Totally. Star. like that's you know it is what Dude, it is It's amazing
2: but. exactly it's like they're all just humans and they'll just want to talk about normal stuff in fact if you just talk about normal stuff with them i feel like they're more appreciative of that
0: than you like fawning over them yeah <laughs> I, d- I did mess up one time because I met Sarah Borellis and I didn't know it was Sarah Bareilles. Uh-huh. I was like, "Who are you?" She goes, "Sarah Borellis. I was like, "Oh, oh my god, that's hilarious!" <laughs> <laughs> like I li- like I literally didn't know who she was. Who are you? Cause I I knew the name and I knew her voice, but I hadn't seen her yeah. face. And she's so like, "This is Sarah Bareilles." I'm like, "Oh, yeah, oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's
2: too funny." <laughs> no man, it's true though. So, but yeah.
0: So where's it go from there? Now you're done with Taylor Swift dress. Yeah. So
2: we finished that up. And, you know, I go... Well, first off, we finish that up. I get on a train back to New York City. So, these rehearsals for almost all these big pop acts are in this little tiny middle of nowhere town called It's Pennsylvania. um, Where there's a company there called Tate Towers. And they just... They make, like, every stage you've ever seen in a live show. They're crazy. And Mm -hmm. they have this, like, giant shell building that you can, like, house an arena stage in and practice in. And it's in basically Amish country, Pennsylvania. And... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's it's nuts and and basically I'm I board a train there to go back to New York City and I was going to work that morning. I left I left them at I left them around four AM and I was planning to get to New York City to go to work around seven AM and I had like that was like the the moment where I reached like the level of exhaustion where I actually couldn't keep like my eyes open like at all.
0: Like it was that it was yeah, that you, point. you couldn't like you were, attempt to. Y- your body was literally breaking Yeah, it was down. just
2: over. It was like, but it was like, there was this feeling of relief that came with it, where it was like, oh, all right, we're actually done. Like this thing's going to happen. What the hell? This is real. And then my body was just like, it's over.
0: <laughs> it just shut down. <laughs> You're probably running on all adrenaline at that point, and then when that wore yeah. off, there was, your body was gone. There was no nothing else to run on. It was em- it was gone totally. Empty.
2: And man, I rode that commuter train all the way to Penn Station in New York, and I did not wake up for the from the middle of Pennsylvania to the middle of Penn Station, New York, on that whole journey. It was <laughs> it was insane.
0: How long of a journey I
1: is think that? It was
2: about three and a half hours or so. But like you know, I'm sitting next. People are sitting on the train. Like you you go through Philly, people get on the train who are like commuting to like Princeton, and then people get on the train at Princeton going to New York, and all this other stuff. And so you're like sitting next to people, people are like putting luggage over your head, and. never ever responded to it (laughs) i was like must have looked like a corpse to those people but yeah
0: so is is it is now the point when you've decided to start the company or is it still kind of in the background so
2: it was it was getting there at this point i kind of you know i went back to like grinding at work and was like okay i now know that there's a thing that that i can work on that's pretty special and uh And I really enjoy, even though it's like almost killed me. And I decided that, uh, I decided at that point that, you know, I was just going to, I was basically at that point working to make enough money to, to like save up enough that I could actually like quit my job and be able to um, be able to focus on this thing full time. And so I did, I think I worked for about six more months and then I quit. And then, pretty much, nothing came in. No, like, had no projects for like a year. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> so you're basically unemployed yeah, for pretty a year much. in New oh, York yeah. City. What did you do for money? Um,
2: I I did like little contract odd jobs here and there. Um, I I worked with uh, I, I would try to find random companies to work with because um, I was I was working with mostly James at that point. Um, James and Dave hadn't quit their full time jobs yet. So I was the first one. I was the first one to quit, and uh, yeah, I was just doing doing odd jobs everywhere I could to uh, to make up for that income that I did not have. And in a in a weird way, that was actually a really fun period of time, because I got to work on the design of like all these different strange like industrial machines and also like websites and like databases. And it was like a very a really weird time where I actually learned a lot. I learned how to do everything. Because I just, like, the only way to
0: survive was to be able to do everything. So I had just had to learn everything. <laughs> and, so it was, like... <laughs> I mean, you had no other choice. So it's, like, you, did you ever take a project where they're, like, can you do this? So you're, like, yeah, sure. But you had, like, no idea how Dude, to do it. Dude, every single project.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. All right, maybe not every <laughs> single project. But a lot of them were that way, for sure. Because, you know, my, my background was, like, okay, I, I had made an LED dress... With like wireless technology and programmed that system, and the other thing I had done was build build microscopes. So it's a pretty weird skill set, you know. <laughs> Anything else that you're doing outside of that, you kind <laughs> of had to make up.
0: So did you quit your job thinking there was work ahead, or did you just kind of jump off and and pray, and then it just didn't work? Yeah,
2: out? it was it was really jump off, um, and then it was it was definitely like a little bit of a leap of faith. I kind of felt like i had i'd i'd had my uh i'd like done my time at that company and i just kind of wanted to explore so i figured i had this idea in my head where i was like i'd saved up enough that i could live for a few months and not not need a job for a few months but i needed uh but like and so if i absolutely utterly failed during those few months i would just go figure out a way to get another job which, you know, is way harder than it – than an actual, like, I was making it easy in my head, and I'm thankful that I didn't do that, didn't need to do that, because I probably would have had a really hard time finding a job when I was – if I told them, like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I like, quit my good job where I had, like – like, I was, like, managing people and had a, a pretty good position and stuff, and I just quit it kind of randomly to go and try to do something else. Like, I, I feel like that wouldn't I, look I very good say, What is your... a lot
0: of companies. What does your family think at this point? It's like I quit my job. Don't worry, I'm going to be working at Taylor didn't, Swift. Like I, I mean, didn't tell it, him that's basically what yeah. happened. I didn't you tell what?
2: Him. I I didn't you tell them until the day I quit. So you just called them up and
0: be like, hey, by the way, yeah,
2: pretty much. It's like, by the way, I uh, decided to take a leap of faith and uh, stop everything I was doing that was actually working out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what was their response to you that? Know,
2: their response was my dad's response is kind of like, was like, you know, I understand that you want to do kind of like creative engineering work for a living. But he said, he said, just remember that, that it's still a job and like, you still do actually need to like keep hours. And he's kind of like reminding me that, that even though I was making myself unemployed, I shouldn't, I shouldn't act unemployed. That's kind of like his, his response to it. And you know, my mom, I think, thought I was a little bit crazy, but she she respected the decision. They were both they were both cool with it, but I think they also realized kind of the gravity of it that it was like that I was like potentially making myself pretty unemployable <laughs> at that moment.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so so how do you eventually start getting contracts in again? Like what what when's the next big? Yeah,
2: one? so I got lucky that there was a project actually at my old company.
0: This isn't the first time you got. lucky. Yeah, I know I got
2: lucky a lot. I, it's. I mean, let's be honest. I feel like entrepreneurship is like eighty-five percent luck. Well, maybe not quite that high. It's like fifty percent luck, probably. It's. It's a mixture of absolutely working your ass off and then being really lucky at the same time. That's honestly what it is. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a secret. Yeah, like formula. even even to this day, like I wake up at like it, like usually between nine and ten. And then I will work like a, a full day until like six or seven and then after my wife goes to sleep, I'll usually start working again and I'll work until like five AM or four AM. And that's just like that is my daily my like daily way of being. <laughs> so even on the oh, weekends? yeah, I mean on the I work every weekend. I'm honestly like it's I'm like pretty obsessed with what I do, so I just don't ever stop, to be honest. If I'm like not if I'm not like actively spending time with With like other people. Like if we're not. If we're not hanging out. Or like. Not like going out to eat or something. I am. For sure working. I'm very obsessive about this stuff.
0: What does your wife think Uh, of that? I think
2: it. It it definitely. uh, It annoys her sometimes. Because. She's like. You've been in your office for like 18 hours straight. And you haven't slept. And. (laughs) And I'm here. (laughs) But. You know. We get. We get by. It definitely. It's definitely a. uh, It's definitely a real balance though. Like. Work-life balance is not my strong suit. That's something that I'm trying Clearly. to learn all the time, but
0: I'm not <laughs> good at it. So what? So what was the next big project though? Like when did the next thing really? Yeah. So through? the next
2: thing that that really rolled in was, um, you know, after after struggling for a while on that, um, we started getting these little these little projects actually, kind of um, little like little projects that could just kind of like help float. This uh, this kind of new company that that um that we had made, and at this point,
0: it's like the dam was yeah leaking. exactly.
2: <laughs> and at this point, James had kind of James had started to go full time as well, and um and so we we made this like crazy uh, like LED infinity mirror octagon for um
0: was it an official company at this point? We
2: had we actually did have an LLC formed at that point, so we'd we'd begun to be a company, although we didn't know literally anything about how to run a company we just had a name <laughs> you know the, go- the government <laughs> knew that we were called smooth technology however we didn't know what it even meant to have a company we were we were figuring that out and um you know these little jobs started rolling in we built these like this like led octagon um we were we uh it was weird like one of the one of the first jobs we had well we got contacted for but ended up not happening um, like honestly the reason I quit my job like pretty abruptly was um, the uh, this is like super early this is this is actually right before the big big uh, time where we didn't have any any work but we got contacted by the White House during the uh, during like the last year of Obama um, to build like a, a robot that would show Twitter messages and we we're supposed to build it with Adam Savage from Mythbusters and and like, Unreal. This when that, when that project came in I was like alright I'm quitting my job And this is what I'm going to go do for a living That was actually the thing that, that convinced me To quit my job But it turned out that The White House didn't have a budget for it And they <laughs> Wouldn't even pay for the parts Like they wouldn't pay for like the parts To build the thing And so I was like I literally can't Afford to do this project And it of course completely fell through and that's when that was actually when uh that was when like i was like okay well i have a company i don't have any work i quit my job and now i have to figure out the rest of this stuff but yeah after like a year of that we started to get these little projects where um we're building little lighting things for small bands oh yeah what's up paul
0: i got a question though because how does the white house find a no no offense to you a small tiny ass company like you to do this I mean, you're essentially non-existent at this point. How do they come across yeah, to you?
2: Yeah, so um, they they actually found James in our group. So James makes uh, at that time he had made some tutorials and uh, and other kinds of things about LEDs for Adafruit, which makes hobbyist electronics. And they found basically some of James's work, and they emailed they emailed his boss at Adafruit, who then sent James that message, and then that was that was kind of how it ended up happening is the white house found James's boss <laughs> and then James's boss sent it to us.
0: So what, if, what have if got from this is that you have two people to thank for your career, Taylor Swift yeah. and Obama. Yeah, that's literally. actually
2: true. I probably, I would not have, uh, I would not have quit my job and actually like gone down the insane journey of attempting to be full time at my own thing. If, if it weren't for that pivotal moment, even though it didn't ever happen, like even though we literally never built anything there, I wouldn't have quit my job if, if I didn't, if someone didn't ask us to do it.
0: Yeah. Right. So what was the next big project? Sorry, you just yeah, about yeah. to get so, to
2: that. yeah. So after all that little stuff trickled in, the next big project that, that really came in was, um, was, uh, we actually had two at the same time. One was a project we did with Google. And the other one was we made an led video bra for Katy Perry. So two, two really different projects. One, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So, this was like this was like twelve or fourteen months into into um, into Smooth Tech existing, and uh, we had um, we got contacted by the lighting designer of uh, the TeleSwift Swift tour, who basically just sent us a message saying, "I have a project that's just as crazy as as this thing did for Taylor Swift," and he's like, "I'm working on it. Same produ- same producer." It's like let's get you guys in on this, and we were like, yes, like finally, like something is happening, <laughs> and
0: we. <yeah. laughs> we're sitting in the back of your head at all, like, oh my god, not this again, like I can't yeah, do this again, yeah, kind of because I'm always I'm such a perfectionist, and
2: one of the things that I'm always like so afraid of is like one of these things just not working on stage because like we're putting we're putting this stuff like on people that are like actively wearing it in front of like twenty thousand plus uh people on a tour and you just want it to work perfectly and it is scary because what i do like i still do this like every night of the show i'll go to like instagram and i'll be like hashtag Katy perry and i'll just be like did it work tonight and i try to find like the video for wearing it <laughs> like <I don't... laughs> and you know what <laughs> one night i think it was at like mohegan sun in connecticut uh the bra didn't work and it didn't. it didn't. Well, one side worked. It was it was two sides, and uh, and one of the sides didn't work. And she played it off perfectly, and that actually like removed a bunch of that fear, because the bra was like a big reveal. She like threw off this coat, and it was before she does hot and cold, and the bra flashes hot, cold like on it, like back and forth, and uh, right. And like the whole left side of the bra just like didn't say anything on it, but so it just, it said, hot. just said yeah. Well, it said it said half of the word hot. <laughs>
0: and uh <laughs> but
2: she like played it off she was just like she i mean it was incredible uh because it actually took like so much pressure off i mean the pressure is still there you always want everything to work perfectly every time but it was also like i couldn't be more thankful that she was wearing it at that moment and was able to just
0: like make a joke about how her boobs weren't working that night <laughs> <laughs> so i'm assuming from there just kind of springboarded then into yeah and then with another a bunch of little breaks, because I remember when you mm-hmm. got married, you built, randomly, an arcade yeah, machine. Definitely. For a card game, arcade game, rather, for your wedding, and then that ended up on the roof. <laughs> right, news. right. And so, everything just kind of, this is when I, because, you know, we've been friends for years, but this is when I even started to kind of notice that you, your kind of, company was starting to get way bigger than even I realized it was.
2: Yeah, yeah, and it was... You know, it was strange because like as we as we started doing more of these things, we started to get press and started to like take interviews and started to, um, like actually like be able to like Google my name and see something come up, and that was a whole a whole strange environment too. I mean, it's like by no means what like an actual famous person experiences, but at the same time, it's like it's like whoa, there's like a news article with my name on it from Billboard. That's crazy, and and that
0: another big yeah and and that
2: that kind of stuff kind of kept happening with projects and like um now we've found ourselves in time magazine and and uh l and vogue and uh in style and it's 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 kind of it's kind of crazy and well you recently worked on the vmas that yeah yeah right we made a um we made a led face mask for lady gaga that she wore through her whole um her whole performance uh during uh she did like she did a bunch of the songs from her new Chromatica album, and uh, we made an LED face mask that kind of mimics the art style, like the sine, the sinusoidal uh, wave art style in Chromatica. And uh, yeah, she wore it for the whole performance, and it like we didn't actually know that she was gonna wear it for the whole performance, and it kind of like just blew our minds because she spent like 12 minutes on the VMAs on this like crazy like iconic night where she won like
0: everything, and she was like wearing our mask. During her big performance, but at the same time, nobody knows that's you that did it, it, right? I mean, it's people seeing it and they're like it's just a mask. Nobody knows. Yeah,
2: and it's it's strange. You know, that's that's one of the other weird parts. It's like when you always like want the credit. You always want people to like know that it's like, yeah, we did that. But you also have to figure out how to be tasteful about it. You know, you don't necessarily want like Lady Gaga to like go up to a microphone and be like, "Smooth technology made me a mask," but. At the same time, right. when people
0: when people Google it later, you do want them to know, and and that's actually what. Well, a lot of it's probably the people behind the scenes too, like the people who put that together, know yeah. who made that, and that's probably ninety percent. Definitely, of that's
2: like ninety percent of our business. But you know, you still you still want people just to know what you're doing. And
0: one thing that I think everybody will know you for is, and you're going to know it the minute I say it is oh, the yeah. hat
2: the the billy porter hat <laughs> absolutely <laughs> that was amazing now you
0: said that wasn't that like just a side project that you guys kind of yeah did it was something? a really
2: it was a really quick project we have um there's this amazing hat designer that we work with um named sarah sokol and she had she like had this concept for this like light shade hat and then we were like We came up with like the idea of like how it would open and stuff and it was just this crazy collaboration that happened over the course of like a couple days and and then you know we just kind of made this little system where uh billy's stylist could basically walk behind him and press a button that would open his hat for him and press another button that would close it so billy could just stand there and like look awesome while the hat did its thing and uh (laughs) and we never expected the amount of media attention that it got I mean, it, it went out there. We thought it was funny and hilarious, and like just a really cool little project that that we worked on with our friend. And then next thing we know,
0: it's getting reshared like twenty million times on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> now, what does your company look like now? It Started off as the three of you. What is it now? What is the how many people are there now? I mean, what is the you shape know, of it we now? We
2: stayed. We stayed very small. We we had um we had five people. At the uh, at the beginning of this year, and one of um, our uh, our CEO manager Mia was really awesome, and she actually she actually left to take on her own career in like social media and stuff. She's really great, and then um, and then Sachem is uh, is the other the other person in our business. So really, there's four core members. It's me, uh, it's me, James DeVito, Dave Scheinkoff, and Sachem Marvidson, and Sachem, Sachem, We met him on Taylor uh, while working on the Taylor Swift stuff, but he came in full time with us a little bit later. He actually was the um, was the touring and uh, the touring light guy, lighting person, and um, and kind of like a major like creative creative person with uh, you know with like all the lighting and visuals for the Flaming Lips for the last like, eleven years, right. and so he um, he's added so much, but basically like you know we keep this small team because we all work really well together, we design really well together, but you know when it comes to making some of these huge projects with a lot of a lot of fabrication. We we expand like massively. I think we we probably at one point last year had something like thirty people hired on for uh, for like a for like a month to to build uh to build like some of our big projects. So we we kind of we kind of grow and shrink, but we kind of we keep our team to this just our main designers like the main group of uh the core group of us that all that do a lot of the design and engineering because we're just. We have a very good chemistry with
0: each other. Now I got a question that you could probably answer pretty quickly because I assume Mm -hmm. I knew the answer. Is there ever been a project that you have turned down? Have you ever said no, that is literally not possible or anything like that? I've never said it's not possible, but I have turned down projects.
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, we've – you know, it's it's funny because when you're new, like when we were were young, we never turned down anything. Everything was a yes because you just – you want to get something. But, you know, I feel like like last year we really started to hit our stride and we actually turned down a lot Um, because, you know, we don't really want to change our dynamic. We love being a tiny, a tiny, weird company with just a bunch of strange people that enjoy making bizarre electronics. And and so we we kind of uh, we could have had more work last year and we just we we didn't take it. And. That's honestly, I think, been for the best. We we keep our workload how we like it, and uh, and it lets us put special attention and special creativity and you know, kind of our full selves into every project.
0: So there is one thing though that the kind of obvious question now that's that going on this year is how has COVID affected oh, everything? Yeah. Like, what has it done to you COVID guys?
2: COVID is a nightmare. Honestly, it's it's bad for us. Uh, we've been able to like one thing that we're really lucky about is that with our tiny team, we are super agile so we can we can kind of change what we do pretty rapidly if we need to. And you know, I'll say that that like last year uh last year at this time, like this far into the year, we were we we had already done tons of projects, like tons and tons of projects. And this year we've probably done like four projects realistically. But that said, we did manage to kind of pivot into the medical industry briefly. It's um, so like right when uh, right when everything kind of shut down in March, um, we were like, "Oh my God, we work with live entertainment! Like we we work with with stage shows. We make experiences." Like,
0: did you ever think it was all? I mean, over? it
2: felt like it might be. It definitely felt like it might be. It was it was pretty dire for for a moment there, but then I got a call from from an old friend who's actually the he's the president of Nanotronics, the company that I worked at and quit um, about five years ago to start Smooth Technology, and uh, and he said he was you know he was interested in working together on a uh, non-invasive ventilation device, and next thing I know me and the whole team we rev up and we say all right this is this is what we're doing we're going to work on we're going to work on medical devices and uh you know we worked we worked with them and uh as of june we actually we made a device that got fda approval and is actively in production um well we made the device with them with nanotronics and uh it's an active production to be uh you know to actually be used to help uh to help COVID you know people who have COVID and uh and other kind of respiratory problems and
0: and unreal man seriously it was
2: it was crazy it was a really a really really weird uh you know this year has been extremely strange and it's it it definitely felt at points like like man like I'm gonna just have to uh figure out how to just survive for (laughs) for the rest of the year but then but then yeah that that rolled in and then You know, as of about a month ago, I'd say the whole entertainment industry is starting to just accept that coronavirus is here, and so things are starting to happen. So, what's
0: the forecast like for you then? I mean, without these events, what are you going to do? Yeah, you know,
2: we're going to work on things that are in the virtual space. So one one example is Lady Gaga's VMAs performance, that was a televised performance, and we can, and we're we're planning to keep working on those kinds of things, and um, and we also have uh we also have a lot of ideas in the realm of um of kind of uh like different types of like toys and lane devices to help connect people while they're uh, while they're away from each other and uh and one thing that we're also doing um which is actually in the realm of experience but uh it kind of it predated covid and we've and hopefully we'll open sometime in the next couple of months i mean we'll we'll see it's going to be it's gonna definitely be after a COVID vaccine, I think. But uh we're doing a um we're kinda making working on this big we're directing all of the uh technology at an at a new art museum in Texas called Seismic. And that's mm-hmm. that's been a that's been a huge project. So it's kinda like for this year we somehow we just we just skated by and somehow managed to survive by becoming a medical company for a few months.
0: <laughs> it's very strange. <laughs> with FDA approval, which I assume that, well, that was probably the hardest part. Oh FDA yeah, absolutely.
2: Approval. Yeah, it was uh, working with um, John from Atronics and just kind of uh, you know figuring out figuring out all the ways to engineer around all the all of the requirements of the FDA so that this thing could actually actually be used and help people. And that was yeah, it's definitely a hard part. It's they do not give away that approval easily. <laughs>
0: well that was very noble of you it's honestly pretty amazing that you guys have been able to do that it's
2: it's and it's been a really good time at the same time it's you know even though it's a different kind of work than than what we're used to uh i love being able to to dip our toes into a whole different a whole different field and you know right it kind of just made sense this year it was like it's like i felt was like the right way for us to use our skills this year all things considered
0: all right, so let's let's end on a uh, on a pretty happy note, you know, yeah. the best we can, because you know, I was going to ask you about you know your job searching experience and all that, but you never really had that. But what do you think? Like, what is your thoughts on the? Just real quick, just a couple minutes, so we can wrap it up. Just the uh, your thoughts of today and what's it like, you know, getting a job for people nowadays and things like that. You're kind of self-made, yeah. but, I mean, what um, are your thoughts?
2: You know, yeah i I personally got really. I, I, I luckily was able to uh, make a business and kind of just follow my internship from college through. I feel like I, I took a lot of the easy way out earlier on, um, but finding that internship um, and finding and also just from a lot of my friends who are looking for jobs right now, it seems really hard, especially during COVID. Um, I mean, at this at this point in time, uh, just no one is hiring basically so (laughs) right it's a real problem. problem um but you know at the same time i kind of have a feeling that once we have a vaccine and can kind of um you know start to start to actually uh you know learn to learn to live with coronavirus as we all as we all get vaccinated or you know do whatever kinds of um whatever kinds of uh uh, you know social distancing and masking up and all that kind of all that kind of good stuff that we're all they're all doing already I think that um, I think that things are going to kind of round a corner because I think there's there's so much creativity and innovation that's happening in the home right now while everyone's unemployed that I I think that I think that there could be some kind of new little renaissance of uh, you know of, of innovation that's that's just around the corner and I think that that could create a lot of that jobs. That would be fantastic. I think it would be fantastic. It? And honestly, <laughs> I think it's there. I mean, I feel like COVID created this this whole uh, this like in the like the hacker community that I often like operate in. Um, everyone after after everyone lost their jobs from coronavirus, they uh, they all started to work on medicine and all started to like make databases and contact tracers and all this kind of stuff. All this innovation occurred so rapidly. And it's like this kind of disaster seems to breed innovation. And I think that there could actually be some positive, some positive things on the end of the end of this uh, coronavirus time period that might actually make job searches well, if there's easier. anybody to,
0: uh, <laughs> If there's anybody who knows how to pull something out of nothing, <laughs> that's you. That is absolutely <laughs> true. But uh, thank you for your time with this and uh, talking, to me. I have a million more questions, but I don't have enough time today. <laughs> so uh, maybe we'll talk to you again. You know, I'd like, maybe you can uh, be on with the full show awesome. with me and, that. and uh, you can uh, BS with us a little bit. I know you'd love that, Sick but um, give your uh, company a little plug. Yeah. Too.
2: Um, so yeah, we're called a, uh, you know, look up smooth technology. Uh, Instagram is a uh, smooth dot technology. You can see all of our, Weird, different inventions. You'll see everything from random LED LED dresses and masks that we make to things like pneumatic punching gloves and uh, chairs that'll make you bounce around with the remote control. Where we're always <laughs> just looking to do the next weird Amazing. thing. So yeah, check us out.
0: All right, and uh, yeah, like I said, we'll probably see on a, on a podcast in the future. We'll be on a yeah, why not? Be awesome. right? <laughs> All right. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Paul.